Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. You know, the, there's, a, there's a bunch of phrases that I remember hearing growing up that I actually thought were in the Bible that aren't. Um, maybe, maybe you know a couple of these. Uh, one is, cleanliness is, ne- is next to godliness. You know, moms would say that to their kids so that they would, like, wash their hands or whatever. Not in the Bible. Uh, another one uh, would be, the Lord helps those who helps, help themselves, right? My dad would say that, you know, oh, you want some help? You better do some work. Uh, my, probably my favorite one that's not in the Bible is, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. And this, this, these last couple of years have, uh, have felt like that for me. Like if I had a, a church like Pastor Bingo card two years ago for the very first time in my life, church was canceled because of snow. If you remember, we had a foot of snow on the ground. And so we're like, it's too dangerous. We did our very first live stream then from my office in my house. It was terrible because our internet's terrible. Uh, then last year, obviously, COVID hit. So we didn't meet for four months. Then finally we met and we met outside for the first time. And we thought, hey, this will work. And then the fires were so terrible that another Sunday we had to cancel because the smoke was so bad. Check. And this last Sunday we were planning to meet outside across the street. And I was just praying that it wasn't going to rain. Because <laughs> it's Seattle, right? <laughs> and bingo card. It's, you know, 105 today or whatever it is. So it's been a wild season. But I have to tell you. I so appreciate our church, our church family. Uh, you all have been very flexible uh, in this season. And um, now I think we just need to keep throwing curveballs, even if we don't need to, just to keep ourselves on our toes. Uh, we, we haven't been able to get lazy or complacent in this season, whether it's COVID or racial strife that we walk through or political turmoil in our country. I've been so grateful for how you all, for how we all as a church have navigated this season. Uh, so yeah, you all are cool. Uh, maybe not in body, uh, but definitely in spirit. And so I, I'm so grateful to be here. We're grateful that we could move inside as opposed to last year because um, of the restrictions. We didn't have the option. Outside was the only thing. So we're grateful we have this building and our little, our, our sweet little air conditioners that are trying to keep the room below 80. Um, and thankful for Ray who, who went throughout the building and just installed as many window air conditioners as he could in the different places. Uh, so we'll, we'll look forward to having lunch together uh, downstairs after, after our gathering this morning. So uh, if you haven't been with us before, uh, we're walking through a letter to, uh, first, uh, from First Peter, and this is a letter to a bunch of churches. And it's been circulating for 2,000 years. And so we're one of the churches that gets to benefit from these inspired words of God. And so if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to just take that. Um, If you have a smartphone, you can get a Bible. There's lots of free ones that you can download as well. Um, Where we've kind of picked up, uh, just so so it's kind of like you're jumping in the middle of a a series, right? Um, First Peter, the first two chapters, um, the themes are really what you see here. So hold on to hope, Jesus' hope, Uh, to pursue holiness when we Hold on to Jesus. He calls us to live differently in the culture that we live in. To, to be separate, yes, but also to be a blessing to, to the culture. 
And then the reality is, as we follow Jesus, we're going to encounter the same things that Jesus encountered. We will encounter hostility. Because there are times when the culture says, hey, we think this is how people should live, or we say this is okay, and the people of God say, no, I'm sorry. The standard that God calls us to is different. And when that happens, Christians stick out. Sometimes they offend people, and various degrees of hostility happen. So these are kind of the big themes in the letter of 1 Peter, and they're really prominent themes today in the church, whether it's the church here in America or in China or in the Middle East. And so we've just heard, jumping into this, kind of three strong challenges to the church. One of these challenges has to do with submitting and respecting your authority, those in leadership. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says this, and we're reminded that when these words were spoken, there was an emperor named Nero who was leading the Roman world at that time. This same Nero, shortly after this letter was written, would have Christians dipped in tar and lit on fire to light his gardens. This same Nero used Christians as a scapegoat for massive fires that would rage through Rome and ultimately cause persecution of the Christians. And so Peter says to submit to those that are in leadership and authority above you, the Christians in his day are like, what? You're talking about Nero? Now again, this is probably written before he went really extreme against them, but still they lived under unjust leadership. So how do we do that? We talked about how do we honor those in leadership even when we disagree with them. Many of us have felt that in this year of COVID. Many of us, when the governor has said certain things, we've said, oh, I don't like that, or I don't appreciate that, or, I, or I'm just opposed to him. But I have to say to you, one of the things I've tried to do in this season is put myself in his shoes. Over 7 million people in a state, an unknown pandemic, the ramifications of it coming first in all the places in the United States to the state that he was governing. How would you respond? What would you do? And so one of the things I've tried to do in this season, even though I may disagree with him on certain political things, I've tried to honor Governor Inslee. I've tried to pray for him. And when I felt in myself this kind of uh, rebellious attitude perk up, which it has <laughs> many times, I've tried to check myself and say, hey, what is my role as a Christian in this time? And it's to pray, it's to bless, it's to honor is to respect. And so these are the, the themes that Peter is trying to get across as well. Another theme that's come through this book is this theme of hardship and suffering. Are you dealing with hardship? Are you experiencing suffering? Now, the, the context is specifically for experiencing suffering because of your faith, but certainly other aspects of hardship can be applied. And what Peter says is if you are dealing with these things, Jesus identifies with you. He knows what it feels like. He walked in your shoes. And so you and me have a living hope. Jesus overcame the suffering hardship, and he has a promise for us as well. And so that is good news for us. And then the third challenge we, we saw this last week is that of the household and the the call to honor and respect each other as husbands and wives. And so after these specific exhortations this morning, 
um, we, we zoom out a little bit, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 is kind of a bridge statement uh, into uh, this, uh, exploring this idea of suffering a little bit more. So go ahead and open up your Bibles or launch your Bible app to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Jude, my clicker's not working. Can you go to the next slide for me? Thank you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. In the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 1049. And we're going to um, go ahead and just read this uh, yourselves. So right where you're at, go ahead and just read verses 3, or sorry, chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. All right, enough eyes are looking up around, so I'll give you about 30 more seconds, and then we'll talk about this together. All right, so here's the gospel promise that you probably won't find on uh, Christian broadcasting. Following Jesus is going to be hard. It will cost you something. You may even experience hostility if you decide to follow Jesus. You may even experience suffering because you decided to follow Jesus. Now, in America, this maybe doesn't hit us as hard because we are, quote-unquote, a Christian nation. It has been, since the beginning, uh, easy to follow Jesus here. Most folks are okay with it. But in other parts of the world, that's not the case. In Nigeria, in the last year, hundreds and hundreds of Christians have been murdered by Islamic tribesmen called the Fulani. In places of the world, it is outright illegal, banned to be a Christian and to worship together. 
In some places, if you become a Christian, uh, at best, you're going to be the weird one in your family <laughs> that people might make fun of. At worst, you may lose all contact with your family, even threaten to be murdered. Some years ago in Spokane, I met a man who had um, moved here from Iraq, and he had become a Christian uh, as, after hearing the gospel from uh, American military personnel. And when he became a Christian, he immediately lost his business and his place in his family and eventually his place in his city. And then he had to flee for his life because people had it out for him. So these are not promises that you'll see or hear on the radio here in America, Christian broadcasting. But the reality is, is that oftentimes the ways of Jesus are at odds with the culture and with society as a whole. But the thing that we do know is that when we place our faith in Jesus, we experience something that nothing in this world will offer. We experience a freedom from our sin. We experience a reuniting with the one who created us, a freeing of those things, that brokenness that so easily entangles us. You know, when um, young kids learn how to, to ride a bike, and I've, I've got five kids, I've taught four of them how to ride a bike, I never tell my kid as soon as they get on the bike, hey, just pedal and you'll figure it out. It'll be great. You're going to be cruising down that street in no time. No, I tell them, hey, you're probably going to wipe out many times. <laughs> and when they first wipe out off the bike, they just want to quit right there. This is too hard. The way that you are doing it looks so much easier. I'm, I never want to do it again. But the reality is, for all of us who not ride bikes, maybe you remember this, when you press through after some scrapes on the knees and some epic wipeouts, eventually you figure it out. And then this whole world opens up. What? I can ride my bike to the store? That used to be so far away. Now it's just minutes. I can cruise around in circles. Freedom happens when you press through the hard stuff. And this is really the big point in this passage is suffering is going to happen. So when you experience suffering, make sure that you're experiencing it for the right reasons. Peter says, Earlier in, in uh, chapter 2, he says, don't suffer for being a jerk. <laughs> like, everybody suffers for that reason. But if you're going to suffer, suffer because you're doing good things. On this very month, 77 years ago, over 150,000 soldiers landed on the beaches of Normandy, France, to stop the tyrannical march of the Nazi army. 10,000 of those soldiers never saw another day. These soldiers, they landed on the beaches with one single goal in mind, freedom. They gave their lives for the right reason. So if you're going to suffer, suffer for the right reasons and make it count. When this portion of Scripture was written, the church was experiencing cultural hostility, and certain degrees of suffering. And the big concern that Peter had for the church was not that they wouldn't suffer, but that they would suffer well. That they would respond in such a way that the name of God would be actually exalted. It would actually be made known more through their suffering. 
Do you remember some of the fights that uh, you've been in over the years, maybe verbal fights or even physical fights? Do you remember times when you felt uh, you were being attacked for what you believed or thought? When, when those hat things happen, you can feel the, the adrenaline start to rise in you. Maybe you get a little bit shaky. Maybe you get red in the face. And then what happens next? Usually some words come out of your mouth, right? You're, you're, you're fighting fire with fire in that moment. You're, you're defending yourself. But then what's the, what's the end result of that kind of conflict, that kind of response? The end result is that relationships get affected. The end result may be that your vocation gets affected. If you lost your cool at work, you may lose your job. If you lost your cool with your friend, you may lose a friend. The challenge from this passage of Scripture is to not give in to our sin nature when we deal with suffering and opposition. And instead, to be prepared to fight hostility the way that Jesus did. What does that look like? Well, here you go. When somebody insults you, when somebody treats you terribly, you are to repay evil with blessing. <laughs> now, this is one of those parts of Scripture that maybe we wish wasn't in the Bible. I often say when we uh, are reading things that we agree with. Everybody's like, amen, hallelujah. Then we read something we don't agree with. We become theologians and we figure out how to get around it. I'm sure I didn't mean that or the culture was different then or those things don't apply today. Not a lot we can do with this one. Repay evil with blessing? No way. When someone's coming at me with insults, they're trying to undermine me, I am going to fight fire with fire. You know what that expression means, right? You use the same kind of force or greater force than is being used against you. But here's the thing. When we face opposition, <coughs> when we face hostility, you know what those things create in our heart? And it creates fertile soil for a heart that is angry. When Jessica and I were engaged to be married, I was living in Northern California and she was living in Kirkland, Washington. It was about a 10-hour drive. And I would get off work at 4.30 p.m. on Friday night, and I would hop in my car, and I would drive up to spend about 36 hours with her. Now, we weren't living together, just want to make clarify. She was living with her parents, so I slept in the guest room. <laughs> so I had 10 hours there and 10 hours back to myself. This was pre-smartphone and podcasts and all that stuff. So I discovered something. I'd never in my life listened to really to the AM radio. But I was getting tired of pop music, and so I turned to the AM radio, and I started listening to talk radio, to news. And after months of listening to talk radio, I realized something. All of talk radio was about building up an enemy and figuring out how to tear him down. It was angry. It was oppositional. The whole spirit of it was, these people are doing this thing, and can you believe it? This is what we need to do. And I had no idea what that was cultivating in my own soul. It was cultivating anger. And I remember having, I was not a political person at the time, still not really. I remember 
some months in having a conversation with a family member about something political. And I realized, man, I'd been hearing one side, one angry side for, for months. And immediately I started regurgitating what I had heard. And I got angry. And I, was, and I walked away going, what on earth? That's not me. And I realized, oh, I've just been discipled for the last few months by talk radio hosts. So opposition and hostility, when, when we are living in that and when we, are, when we are experiencing it, they are fertile soil for anger. Nothing holy will come out of an angry heart. Nothing godly. And yet, when we experience opposition and hostility, how are we to respond? Jesus says through Peter's writings here that we are to respond with blessing. Jesus said later in, or earlier in chapter 6, verse 27 of Luke, it's recorded. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So this is a clue for us on what Peter means when he says to repay evil with blessing. We're not talking about, oh, when somebody mistreats you, you then go out and buy them a car or take them out to a nice, lovely dinner. Now, this, that's not the kind of blessing that we're talking about. We're talking about opposition here. We're talking about words that are used to tear down. And so the original church, when they received this letter, they were being spoken against by the society at large. They were being ridiculed in their places of work. They were being mocked for even believing in Jesus. And so the opposite spirit that we are to display as Christians is to counter that with a blessing. In other words, an attitude for being for that person more than against that person. And that's what Jesus is saying here. To love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you. Now, we don't do this in a patronizing way. My, my younger brother used to do this when we'd wrestle and I would just be throttling him. He realized he had no chance against me, so he'd just start laughing. <laughs> and it would drive me nuts because uh, he, he's not having fun right now, but he sure is acting like it. So this isn't to say when people come at us, we go, that doesn't hurt. You're not bothering me. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. Don't be patronizing. But what we're saying is when people come at us, we know there is something wrong. That we can see them how Jesus saw them. And we can respond not by fighting fire with fire, but by being compassionate toward them. And so if you're experiencing hostility, ridicule, if you've been mocked for your faith, the most powerful blessing that you can give to someone is forgiveness. Whether they ask for it or not. When Jesus was on the cross for your sins, people mocked him and they made fun of him. And instead of defending himself or answering back, Jesus asked for a blessing for those people. He said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And so when we experience the same thing, we can have the mind of Christ and realize, wow, these people, they're lost in their own sin and brokenness. They're lashing out of their own insecurity. Oh God, would you help me to forgive them? And Father, would you forgive them? Would you have compassion on them? So this is the type of blessing that we can repay for those that are doing evil to us. 
I mentioned 77 years ago this month was D-Day, where troops landed in Normandy. Six years ago this month was when the Charleston church shooting happened. Many of you remember this. Nine black members of a church in Charleston, South Carolina, were gunned down at a Bible study by a white supremacist. He actually sat there with them for a bit during the Bible study and then pulled out a gun and killed nine people. At his trial, I'm not even going to say his name, (laughs) at his trial, the daughter of one of those women that was killed, Ethel Lance, her daughter, spoke to this white supremacist. And she said this of her mom. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you and I forgive you. What an amazing example of the forgiveness of Jesus. This woman knew Jesus so well that through the power of what Jesus did on the cross for her, she could speak the same thing to someone who killed her mother in cold blood. How could Jesus bless those who had killed him? How could the daughter of Ethelant say what she said? Because the problem is always deeper than the behavior. As Christians, we know that people that swear, that demean, that tear down with their words or commit evil acts are hopelessly lost in their own sin and brokenness. And we know that their destination is hell. Apart from God, that is where they are headed But we also know that there is a living hope. Jesus who speaks to the condition that they're in. And there is only one, Jesus, who can and will forgive. And so we, as the people of God, can bless those around us. We can pray for them that they will receive the forgiveness of God and the life change that comes from it. Because that's what we've received. That's what we've needed And that's what they need. And so we repay words of evil and insults with blessing. And there's a connection to how we respond with who we are. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like what's inside of you will come out, good or bad. And so he says, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. If there's any doubt that suffering is a part of the Christian life, then Peter restates that here. If you look back up to chapter 2, verse 21, he says the exact same thing. Because this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Because this we were called to walk in the ways of Jesus So, don't let what's happening to you define you. Let what Christ has done define you. Amen? And the reason why? So that you may inherit a blessing. 
See what's happening here? The bookends of blessing. We've received the blessing of our forgiveness from Christ. We are to speak that same blessing to others, and we know that we will fully inherit that blessing one day as we continue in Christ. And as an example of the kind of blessing we get in verses 10 and 12 of what you just read a few minutes ago, Peter quotes Psalm 34, 12 through 16. And we see, if you're looking at that, in verses 10 and 12, this quote from Psalm 34, we see two things, two types of a blessing that we inherit right now when we live in this way. The first blessing is that God sees you. Right now, God sees you like a loving parent. He is watching over your life. He's that intimately connected to you. And the other thing that we see in verses 10 and 12, is that God hears you. When, when you speak, when you say a word, his ears perk up. Last night we had so many fans on in our house to try and keep it cool uh, that every time I heard a noise, I thought, is that one of my kids? Is that one of my kids? Like my ears are tuned to the frequency of my kids' voices. And that's how God is with you. He's watching you and he is listening for your voice. What a blessing that is for those of us that are walking with Jesus. So hostility's coming, suffering's coming, and Peter is essentially saying to the church, and it's applicable to us today, it's what my parents said, don't enter in. Don't get, when people come at you in this way, don't join them in that. Instead, Bless them. Pray for them. Hold fast to who Jesus is. And then look at this next part, because this is, here's what will happen when we do that. People are going to ask, when they see you dealing with hostility in that way, they're going to ask, how can you respond that way when people treat you and act like that? How can you put up with it? What will you say? Peter says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So people notice it. People notice when you're following Jesus and when you're not walking in the ways of the world. They notice when you're not fighting fire with fire. Earlier in this letter, we are encouraged to declare the praises of God. And here, we're encouraged to talk about the hope that we have. If this had to be written to churches 2,000 years ago at the early end of the Jesus movement, boy, we really need to hear this today. Are we ready? Are we ready when we're hanging out in the coffee shops? Are we ready when the, when the co-worker shares with us the tough situation they're going through? Are we ready to, to talk about the mercy of Jesus in our own lives? Are we ready when we do good deeds and somebody goes, man, this is so nice. Why are you doing that? To, to say, well, I'm doing this because every good thing that I have has been given to me by Jesus. And so I just want to reflect that goodness in whatever way I can. Are we ready to do that? Peter wants to make sure that the church is equipped to declare the praises and to speak of the hope that they have. And he wants them, he wants to make sure that they do it in the right way. He says, but do this, when, when you talk about Jesus, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
You know, it's very possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. Like when a child is about to run out in the street, we don't go, hey, sweetie, come back, please. We go, get back here, you're going to get hit by a car, right? <laughs> or when you tell your wife you love her, you don't, say, you don't say it with a growl, I love you, sweetie, yeah. We can say the right thing in the wrong way. So tone is important in the way that we share. But just not, not just about tone, but we can say the right thing in the wrong way and, and totally detract from the message that we're trying to get across. Imagine if a father was playing catch with his young son, and after a few minutes, the dad said to his son, listen, buddy, your, uh, your throws are all over the place. You've got a long way to go until you're as good as me. Man, that may be true, <laughs> but how demoralizing is that? There's no hope there. There's no future vision that this kid could ascribe to. Instead, no, a good father says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to grip the ball like this. And when you follow through, aim at me. <laughs> and, and if you do this, if you keep practicing, it's going to get easier and easier and someday you're going to be so good, probably even better than me. Communicating the same truth, right? This kid's got a long ways to go. <laughs> but in a way that gives hope, that is good news for the hearer. And so the attitude we share about Christ is as important as the words we share about Christ. Always be ready. Two issues that... I see right now so much with American Christianity is I see anger and I see apathy. I see so many Christians angry about the wrong things. And if I'm honest, maybe it's not talk radio, but maybe it's cable news. Maybe it's social media. We're, we're letting those things disciple us and we're equating things in the culture with the things of God when so many times they are not the same. They're not. And so many Christians walk around not with hope, not being ready to declare the good news of God, but angry and ready to get into a fight, to regurgitate something they saw on, in the media. The other extreme is apathy. We're often so apathetic about the things that we should be so passionate about. And so we, well, maybe we type something on, our, on a blog or on a social media account, but we don't do anything. Maybe we say, we'll pray for you, but we don't engage with the issues that are in our culture. And so Peter is exhorting the church 2,000 years later, and he's saying, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. If you're going to be upset about something, be upset that these people that are ridiculing you don't know the forgiveness of Jesus. Bless them. Suffer for the right things. And the remedy for all of us today is that we need a reinforced understanding of our identity in Christ that comes from a gospel-centered life. You know what the gospel is, right? The message of Jesus. And so after all this application for the church on how to reflect the identity we have, the sights are then shifted off you and me. 
Because sometimes if we go, oh man, I need to be better, I need to do better, I need to tell people, I need to equip myself, we start thinking as if it's all about us, and it's not. And so Peter wants to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. The application of our identity is important, it is good, but we need to remember the origin of our identity, and that's Jesus. We'll read this last passage together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So Jesus is the center of our faith and our identity. Jesus is the hero of our story. God came near to us. God who suffered for us. God who responded to us not in condemnation, but in love with a blessing. And while Jesus' suffering looked like weakness and his death looked like defeat, Jesus didn't let those things have the final word. Like so many superhero movies have tried to copy, Jesus flexed his heavenly muscles. And because he didn't ever sin, not when he was spoken against, not when he was beaten, neither could sin or death have any power over him. And because of this, Jesus' resurrection is our hope. And baptism is our identity. The identity of someone who put their faith in Jesus, who is made right and clean by Jesus, and now lives in the resurrection power of Jesus. This is you and me. This is our story. This is our identity. When we baptize, this is not just a Christian ritual. It is a sign of the power of God. It is a sign of his blessing aimed in our direction. So suffering, insults, evil, man, I can deal with those things. Not because of my own goodness or power, but because of Jesus. Our identity, man, it's not affected by hostility. It's strengthened by it. It reinforces where our hope is. Amen? Got to give one sidebar here. In verse 19, it says that Jesus went, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Some of you were like, what's that about? (laughs) So a couple things. We know there is such a thing as angels and demons. And we know that demons were cast out. They are, they are warring against the ways of God. And there's, uh, I, I read a bunch of different opinions on this. And ultimately, here's the answer for verse 19. Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows what Peter means. If he was here, I would ask him. He would probably explain it a little bit better than he did in this letter. But nobody knows. 
the explanation that I probably favor is that most likely what this is was a declaration of Jesus in the spiritual world to those fallen angels and demons that he is victorious, that he won. But again, nobody really knows. So, so here's the thing. When we are treated unfairly or experience hostility and suffering, the gospel is our great reminder. It's a reminder of a couple things. It's first of all that you and I are guilty of committing evil against God by rejecting his authority and not following in his good and perfect ways. We are the evildoers. When we pretend God doesn't exist, we're just as guilty of insulting him as the soldiers who mocked Jesus on the cross. But God doesn't respond by fighting fire with fire. He didn't respond to the crucifixion by sending an army in. God responds by taking all of our evil, all of our insults, all of our sin, even the ones that nobody else knows about. He takes all that on himself. Those things that lead to death and separation in hell. And he offers us a trade. He says, I'll take all of those things and I will trade you my life for yours. My righteousness for yours. I will give you righteousness. I will give you freedom. I will take your sin on myself. And Jesus crucified the power of that sin on the cross. Our guilt in exchange for freedom. He listens to our rejection and doubt of him, and he responds with a blessing. And so that's how we can do this, church family. That's how we can respond like Jesus to others, because he first responded to us in that way, and we received it. Let's pray together. Lord, you never said it would be easy, but you said you'd never leave us or forsake us. You said you could identify with us in our challenges and our suffering. And we have a living hope because of that. So Lord, would we be reoriented and reconfirmed and re-energized, Lord, in our faith? May we not make room for anger in our hearts or hostility. May we be aware of the things of the culture that would try and overshadow the things of you. May we be a people that are ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We can only do that by the power of your grace. So we thank you for it, Lord. May we be a church that reflects that in word and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.